Blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So welcome to our life series. We are at uh, lesson 51, I believe, in this series. And uh, as you will remember, we are discussing the general theme of knowledge and intellect in Islam. So we covered the importance and necessity of knowledge and reason and uh, intellect in Islam in general. We opposed it to jahl, ignorance and foolishness. We looked at the two conditions that make knowledge Islamic in Islam, which are sincerity and that it must lead to action, that it is transformational. It changes us from the inside and then this shows in our external behavior and conduct. And we said the first action, therefore, that a good Muslim will therefore take, given everything that we said up to that point, is to become a learner, a seeker of knowledge. And so we began this new heading where we're exploring the general concept of the community of knowledge by beginning first with that which is most important and most relevant to us, becoming learners. And so we finished that first heading, the learner in Islam, by looking at the importance of becoming a learner, the ingredients, as we called them, of becoming a good learner, the manners of the learner and the merits of the learner in Islam. And then we said the next, therefore, topic under this general heading of community is now that you have a certain amount of knowledge, you are slowly becoming the one who carries the knowledge, therefore the scholar or the teacher. And so we began with now the second heading under this general topic of the community of knowledge in Islam, the heading of the teacher in Islam. In the last two lectures, we've been discussing as an introductory topic the true definition of the scholar or the teacher in Islam. We said that first, we have to keep in mind that the majority of the, the hadith, the sayings, the narrations that we will be looking at are going to really focus on the mention of the scholar. We don't have a lot of hadith, a lot of sayings and narrations that talk about the teacher specifically. But we understand from all of these narrations, especially the ones we're focusing on, that they are focused on that specific role of the person who carries the knowledge, that role of the scholar, which is to teach. Once you carry the knowledge, it comes with a duty to spread that knowledge to others. So that's a first remark. So someone might say, but these hadith are not specifically about the teacher and we're focused on the teacher. So we are looking at them from that angle, the role of the teacher. And secondly, remember the remark that knowledge is not something that is black and white or something that you either have or you don't have. It's a continuum. And everyone is somewhere on that continuum, which means that after a certain amount of knowledge, the seeker of knowledge will quickly start falling in the category of the teacher, the scholar and the teacher. Whether you play that role or not, whether you are recognized as such or not in the community, in society, that's a different topic. But with yourself, you should start viewing yourself as someone on this path. That's secondly. And thirdly, when we, and, and this is preemptively, we talked about this topic because we're going to need it as we go along the uh, this heading of the teacher. And it is that in the absolute sense, the true teacher, the true scholar that we should all be thinking about is the infallible, is the person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, this is your ultimate teacher. This is ultimately the person who will teach you about my religion. Everyone else who does not fall in that category of being divinely appointed has to prove themselves and we have to constantly match. We have to align what they say with what we consider to be the truth. 
So to the extent that they match the truth, to the extent that they align themselves with those we consider to be carriers of the truth, then we consider them scholars. We accept what they say as being teachers and scholars, and we follow them as such. We follow them as being teachers and scholars. <clears throat> Otherwise, we consider everyone, if they are not an infallible, if they are not a masoom, as being someone who has made, who is doing a, a human individual effort to acquire knowledge, to spread knowledge, which means that it is fallible, that it may be true, and there might be some truth and some non-truth in what they are doing, right? Unless we have a guarantee. If you have a guarantee, then you can take it as is. If you don't have a guarantee, and the guarantee can only come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so you know this is a prophet or this is an imam, if you have no such guarantee, then in those cases, you have to constantly re-examine the positions, the claims, the theories, the opinions of such a person to see to what extent this matches the truth, the truth being what we get from the person that has that seal of approval from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that therefore they are in a position that we consider to be the truth. So this is what we established until now, inshallah, this part is clear, we don't need to go back to it. Now we want to continue with our discussion of the teacher. Now that we understand this point, we have to start thinking about Therefore, what? So therefore, first, we said we're discussing this because on the path of becoming a scholar, whether we like it or not, the moment you are a seeker of knowledge and you're carrying some amount of knowledge, you are therefore a carrier of knowledge. You are therefore a scholar, which means you have to know how you're supposed to conduct yourself as such. And of course, the more knowledge equals the more responsibility to match these descriptions of the scholar that we started to see and we're going to start discussing today. That's first. Secondly, and this is going to be the topic that we want to establish today. Secondly, we also want to know what it means for someone to be a teacher so that we find the right teacher. If I am a learner, I'm learning from someone. I'm acquiring my knowledge from someone. And we saw the hadith from Imam Al-Kadhim He's saying there is no knowledge without learning, right? There is no knowledge without becoming the learner, the student. So who are you learning from? Okay, ultimately Imam Al-Kadhim was saying you have to learn from Alim Rabbani. And we saw who the Alim Rabbani is, right? The divine scholar, the infallible. So ultimately it has to go back to that person. But in general, what are the traits of this teacher? And before that, what is the importance of choosing the right teacher? So we'll establish that and we'll start talking about the traits of the teacher. To be honest, this topic of the traits of the teacher is going to bring us back to the traits of the scholar. And that is a big topic and it will require a lengthy discussion. So we'll start it today. We'll come back to it in different ways over the next one or more lectures to continue with this topic, but inshallah today we'll start that. So first and foremost, we want to establish the importance of choosing the right teacher. And then secondly, we start discussing the traits, the descriptors, the qualifiers of that teacher. What does that teacher look like? Even though we have started to talk about it, now we want to focus on that angle. And inshallah, I'll try. I know the past couple of lectures have been a little bit longer than usual. So inshallah, we'll try to keep it a little bit more uh, under the regulation time. The first hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. He says, إِنَّ الْعُلَمَاءُ وَرَثَةُ الْأَنْبِيَاءُ وَذَلِكَ أَنَّ الْأَنْبِيَاءُ لَمْ يُورِثُ دِرْهَمًا وَلَا دِينَارًا وَإِنَّمَا أَوْرَثُ أَحَادِيثًا مِنْ أَحَادِيثِهِمْ فمن أخذ بشيء منها فقد أخذ حظا وافرا فانظروا علمكم عمن تأخذونه That's the first part of the hadith. So he says, scholars are the heirs, are the inheritors of the prophets. And then he explains why. He says, and that is because prophets did not leave behind gold and silver coins. Okay, does this mean, does this exclude the fact that a prophet may leave something for others to inherit? No. But this is not in their role as a prophet. This is different. The role of the prophet is to leave knowledge behind. So the imam says it in a different way. 
He says, وَإِنَّمَا أَوْرَثُوا أَحَادِيثِ مِنْ أَحَادِيثِهِمْ What they leave are their sayings. What they leave is the knowledge in the form of their speech, what they left behind, their sayings. So whoever acquires a share of those sayings, of that knowledge, the Imam says, they have indeed acquired something great, of a great value, even though it's just a little share. So the more you can acquire from what the prophets have left, you have indeed acquired something حَظًّا wafira. You've taken a very significant, a very valuable portion, this little knowledge that you are taking from the vast knowledge of the prophets. And so this is the point of this hadith for us. Then the Imam says, Therefore, be careful. Who do you take your knowledge from? And this is important. You see, the link that the Imam made is what we were trying to establish over the past couple of lectures. The Imam starts by saying, the prophets do not leave wealth behind. What they leave is knowledge. Scholars are the inheritors, are the heirs of the prophets. They are the ones who inherit what prophets leave. And what the prophets leave are their sayings and their knowledge. Then the Imam says, therefore be careful who you take your knowledge from. The argument we were saying is you are a scholar to the extent that what you say matches what the infallibles are saying. What the Ma'asum says, what the Prophet says, what the Imam says. This is exactly what Imam Sadiq is saying. He doesn't say it this way. He says it, so be careful who you take your knowledge from. So if we were to ask, so who do I take my knowledge from? Well, the Imam just said, to the extent that someone has taken from the knowledge of the prophets, they have indeed taken something valuable. That's what you go after. That part that they have taken from the prophets, the rest is, it is what it is. It may be valuable, it may not be valuable. But that part that they were able to inherit and pass along from the prophets, that's the part that makes them a scholar. So be careful, the Imam says. Be careful, watch out. Who do you accept this knowledge that you want to take? Who do you accept it from? Where, from whom do you take or you acquire that knowledge? That's the first part of the hadith. Then the Imam continues. This part is accepted by all. Then there's a second part that is sometimes mentioned in some books. It's not there in all of the books. The Imam says, فَإِنَّ فِينَا أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ فِي كُلِّ خَلَفٍ عُدُولًا يَنْفُونَ عَنْهُ تَحْرِيفَ الْغَالِينَ وَانْتِحَالَ الْمُبْطِلِينَ وَتَأْوِيلَ الْجَاهِلِينَ So he says, there are among us, أهل البيت, there are among us in every generation, those who are just and reliable, and who will protect it, so he's referring to that knowledge that the prophets have left, and who will protect it, from the distortions of those who exaggerate and the false claims of those who deny and the interpretations of those who are ignorant. Okay, so the Imam now linked the second chain, right? Before the Imam was talking in general about prophets. Now he's establishing, he's making sure that anyone who listens to the Imams, to the Imam here, you link back the role of the Imam to that of the prophets. The only way to get to the knowledge of the prophets that the Imam initially started by talking about, and he's saying if you take a little share of it, you have indeed taken something great, of great value. The only way to do that, generation after generation, is to go back to that person who is trustworthy and reliable and just. And the Imam says, and there will always be one among the from generation to generation. فَإِنَّ فِينَا أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ فِي كُلِّ خَلَفٍ Every time there's a new group of human beings that show up, we call that a new generation. In every one of these, there will always be one of us. فَإِنَّ فِينَا أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ There is one of us who will be there in that generation. Who does what? Who basically protects that knowledge. So it's always the same knowledge. Passed down from the prophets, and the way to get to it is to go back to أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ that's how you acquire that knowledge. So the Imam said, in the middle of all of this, he said, so watch out and be careful who you take your knowledge from. Why? And now he's listing some of the dangers, some of the risks associated with this knowledge. 
There are those who exaggerate and there are those who deny and there are those who misinterpret, the Imam says. Therefore, come back to us. We're the ones who are reliable and just and you can trust that what we're telling you is the knowledge that the prophets have left behind. Okay, that's the first hadith. So this is, as we said, the point here, the first point is we really want to establish the importance that whoever we choose as that teacher meets this criteria. Okay, we understand and see how it matches or complements what we've been talking about. That the true scholar is the infallible and the others are to the extent that they match what the infallible is saying, they take from and they spread what the infallible is saying, then they are a scholar. The next hadith from Imam al-Hassan alayhi salam. And I find this one very, very powerful and perhaps even more so today, in today's times, than perhaps at the time when the Imam was saying it. And, and you'll tell me how you feel. Imam al-Hassan alayhi salam says, عَجَبٌ لِمَنْ يَتَفَكَّرُ فِي مَأْكُولِهِ كَيْفَ لَا يَتَفَكَّرُ فِي مَعْقُولِهِ فَيُجَنِّبُ بَطْنَهُ مَا يُؤْذِيهِ وَيُودِعُ صَدْرَهُ مَا يُرْدِيهِ Imam al-Hassan salam says, How strange is the case of the one who reflects upon what he consumes. He's very careful what he puts in his mouth to eat. Okay? How strange is the case of the one who reflects upon what he consumes, yet does not reflect upon what his mind entertains, what he holds in his mind. So he will spare his belly from that which may harm him. Yet he places in his heart that which will lead to his fall. The heart, we can put anything in it. But the belly, you have to be very careful. And I'm saying, perhaps 14 centuries ago, this had a very superficial, very direct meaning. In today's world, I would say this has many more layers of meaning. We understand what the Imam is talking about. In today's world where... Everybody has created a new diet and a new way of thinking and the importance we give to what we put in our bodies and how important it is. You have the gluten-free and the vegan and the vegetarian and the paleo and the whatever else is, is going to be the fad of yesterday and today and tomorrow. And those who drink specific water and those who will drink the same water but it has to be in a glass and not in a plastic for instance and so on and so forth. Right? You want to make sure that what you're putting in your body does not harm your body. And the Imam says, that part is not strange. That part is fine. What's strange is that this person who's doing this is not doing the same thing for what they're putting in their mind. Or as the Imam says, what they're putting in their heart. So they want to make sure that whatever enters their mouth and their belly is not going to harm them. But they will not care whatever is going to end up in their heart, whether it will harm them or not, as the Imam says, even though it may lead to their fall. Okay, and so again, this is the, I think there's something very relevant here, but the point is, be careful what you're putting in. So this I'm using as an introduction to the next hadith. Okay, see the, the same line of thinking, how the Imams, I always say, if you dig enough, you start seeing the how the hadith of the imma complement each other. They look at the same truth and the same metaphor from different angles. This is what Imam al-Hasan was saying. From Imam al-Baqir There is this hadith from Zayd al-Shaham, one of the companions of Imam al-Baqir He says about this verse from the Quran, عن Zayd al-Shaham, عن Abi Ja'far fi ta'ala, فَلْيَنْظُرِ الْإِنسَانُ إِلَىٰ طَعَامِهِ قَالَ قُلْتُ مَا طَعَامُهُ قَالَ عِلْمُهُ الَّذِي يَأْخُذُهُ مِمَّنْ يَأْخُذُهُ So Zayd al-Shaham says, I asked the Imam about this verse in Surah Abasa. I'm sure the majority of you know this verse. فَلْيَنْظُرِ الْإِنسَانُ إِلَىٰ طَعَامِهِ أَنَّا صَبَبْنَا الْمَا and the rest of it, 24, verse 24, Surah Abasa. So let the human consider or reflect on his food. The majority of us, when we read this verse, what would we say? We're saying the, the Holy Qur'an, and the Qur'an does this in multiple verses. It says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created all these different miracles, these different signs for you, that should all make you 
reflect and go back to Tawheed, go back to believing in God and thanking God for all of these signs. And one of the signs is, as the Quran says, the food that we have given you. And no matter which dimension, which aspect of the food you think about, you'll see that there's something miraculous about it. As though, subhanAllah, as though it was designed this way, which is exactly the case and the point. They have to say this could never have been unless there was a creator, unless there was a God behind it who did it this way. That would be our understanding, right? And it would be a very valuable, very valid understanding. So here, Zayd al-Shaham says, I asked the Imam about this verse. And he's not even asking about the whole verse. He's going to ask the Imam about one word in the verse. Okay, so we understood all of us. We read, the verse says, let the human being reflect about his food. Zayd al-Shaham says, so I asked Imam al-Baqar about the meaning of ta'ameh. Let the human being reflect upon his food. I asked him about the word food. What does it mean? Would you or I go and ask the Imam about food? Clearly, it's very, it's in Arabic. I speak Arabic. The word says, ta'am, food. I understand it. No, the companions of the Imam, those are who are around the Imam, they know that there's a lot more meaning if you dig for it, if you go seek it. He came to the Imam and asked, what is the meaning of ta'am? The Imam replied, the knowledge which he acquires, what is its source? Where is that person acquiring their knowledge? That's the meaning of the verse. And this, of course, if you go back, our scholars will say these are the meaning. It's not that this excludes the other meaning. It's an addition to. The thing that you're putting in, that you're consuming, yes, physically, but what about mentally and intellectually? That which you're consuming, where is it coming from? And so here the Imam says, it's almost Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not saying, look, let the human being look at the food or whatever you're consuming in the sense that this is a miracle, that this is a sign and it will bring you back to God. No, this is the opposite. Let the human being be very careful what he is putting in uh, physically and mentally and intellectually. What is he putting in? That's what the Imam says. So again, you have the metaphor of food and once again, the Imam, what did, what did he say? The Imam doesn't say, it's just that the knowledge has to be good. This is the point of what we're talking about. It's the next part. From whom is this person taking this knowledge? What is the source of this knowledge? Who are you allowing to manipulate you? To influence you? To tell you this is right, this is wrong? Next hadith. So this hadith I mentioned because I've seen it in a, quite a few places. In fact, it, it might be a little problematic and so that's why I'm mentioning it. And the hadith is not from a ma'asum and even the, 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 the mentions of the, the hadith don't really have a very clear chain. So this, there's a book called Da'wat al-Rawandi and he says, وَمِنْ وَصِيَّةِ ذِي الْقَرْنَيْنِ لَا تَتَعَلَّمُ الْعِلْمَ مِمَّنْ لم ينتفع به فإن من لم ينفعه علمه لا ينفعك. So in Da'wat al-Rawandi he says there is this kind of a last will or piece of advice left by the Al-Qarnayn and there's a whole discussion. The Al-Qarnayn is mentioned in the Quran between the scholars whether he is a prophet or he is simply one of God's good servants. Uh, and so we are told this is part of the advice that he leaves behind. He says, do not learn knowledge from the one who did not benefit from it. Then he adds, for the one whose knowledge did not help him, that knowledge will not help you. So, in short, if you want to take this at face value, this may apply or may not apply. This has some truth and there is a part of this that does not apply always. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the series, a topic that we talked about earlier when we talked about the learner. And we said, for us, the most important thing is seeking the truth. We seek the truth and we find it and we take it and we accept it wherever we find it. I may agree or disagree with the person, but 
what I'm looking for is the truth. If what they're saying is the truth, if someone who smokes tells you that smoking is bad for your health, I still accept that truth from them, even though they are not following their own advice. Their own advice did not help them, as Dil Qarnain says. So there are situations where this may not apply entirely. We have to be very clear. There are other situations where someone has the knowledge, their circumstances do not allow them to do something. It doesn't mean that that knowledge is not going to help you because your circumstances might be different. They lack the discipline, they lack the will, their circumstances don't allow them, and many other instances. Our ultimate purpose is always to go after the truth. But of course, for domains of knowledge that are practical, this has a lot of weight. If what you are saying is true, I remember I used to take courses of moral philosophy, ethics or moral philosophy in university, and sometimes you have these moral philosophers, philosophers of moral theory or ethics. And so we study what they say, and then I would go back and study their lives. And you see the huge contradictions. Or another, and another way to put it, it's if this person who believes in these principles, we're not sure whether these principles are good or bad. Okay, someone who would study, for instance, I don't know, Frederick Nietzsche. I'm not sure if these principles of ethics, which are taught in an ethics class or a moral philosophy class, are they good or bad? I don't know. Maybe one way to know is I should go back and study his life and see what did his life look like. Since he's the one who believes in these principles the most, he's writing books about them, he's teaching about them, he wants to change the world based on these principles, I want to see what these principles gave him in his life. What kind of happiness did they generate for his life? Right? So in those cases, this is a practical domain. In this practical domain, I would expect what you're talking about to be applicable. I should be able to see the results of it. Okay? So those would be cases where there is definitely some truth to this. this the point from all of this is that it has to lead to action, and the action has to match the claim. So there is truth to this, but this is not an absolute, or it needs to be relativized. It needs to be contextualized based on what we're looking at. So anyways, I thought I, I would just add this hadith into the, into the mix. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet And these are two ahadith, and they very much join what we started talking about last lecture and the lecture before the holy prophet sallallahu says in hadha al-ilm deen in hadha al-ilm deenun fanzuru amman ta'khudhuna deenakum he says this knowledge is faith or this knowledge is religion so be careful who you take this religion from in other words be careful who you take this knowledge from and this can have, we could spend the whole lecture on the meaning of this. But in short, the Holy Prophet is saying, knowledge that you acquire is becoming your worldview. It's becoming the principles you believe in. It's becoming your values, your beliefs, your creed. So be careful who you take it from. The next hadith, I thought, explains this because the Holy Prophet gives more detail. So I'll add it here. The Holy Prophet says in another hadith, Al-ilmu deen, was-salatu deen. Fanzuru amman ta'khuduna hadha al-ilm. And then there is an addition in some sources. The addition is, وَكَيْفَ تُصَلُّونَ هَذِهِ الصَّلَاةِ فَإِنَّكُمْ تُسْأَلُونَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ So knowledge is religion. And then the Holy Prophet adds. So this part is sometimes, as I said, we could spend a long time talking about it. it. requires explanation. This knowledge is religion. What does that mean? So the Holy Prophet, in his genius way of explaining things in a couple of words, he says, this knowledge is religion. And prayer is religion. So in the same sense that prayer is religion, knowledge is religion. That's it. I don't need to talk for two hours or think about it or read seven books. The Holy Prophet just explained it to me in one example. Do I understand 
how prayer is knowledge and how prayer is religion, how prayer is faith, then so knowledge is also faith. Knowledge is also religion. So therefore, if that is the case, so be careful, the Holy Prophet says, be careful where whom you take this religion from, one. And then he adds, Just like you should be careful, how do you perform this prayer? This is the part that everyone should understand. The prayer is the ritual part of religion, the superficial part that is very quickly understandable. For anyone who enters into religion, they'll tell you, first thing you need to do is learn to pray and perform your prayers. Right? It's at the ritual level. You can go very deep in the meaning of the prayer, but even if you do not, at a very superficial level, it's very understandable. So the Holy Prophet says, just like this prayer is important to be performed in a certain way, you want to make sure you learn it properly. Religion, in the same sense, means the knowledge that you acquire. Where are you acquiring this knowledge from? Who is putting these thoughts in your mind? Make sure that they are the correct ones. They're coming from the right source. And then the Holy Prophet gives the ultimate justification. Why is this all important? Because, فَإِنَّكُمْ تُسْأَلُونَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ because you are going to be asked about those things, about these things, and on the day of judgment. About what? The Holy Prophet talked about two things. The knowledge and the prayer. The ritual part of religion, we take as is. God says pray, God says fast. We all understand. As a believer, you expect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ask you, did you pray as I asked you to? Did you fast as I asked you to? Very simple. The Holy Prophet says, as you understand that, so you should you also understand that God will also ask you, and where did you take this knowledge from? The knowledge that became your religion. The knowledge that becomes not religion in the sense that it is equal to Islam. Knowledge in the sense that, and therefore this is how you're going to live your life. This knowledge that you're allowing to enter your mind. If you have books in your home, and you don't have the intellectual capacity, the knowledge required to deal with the contents of the books in the sense that this may lead you astray, then you're not allowed to have those books at home. This is no different than today. If you're exposing your mind to things that will constantly weaken your faith, that will constantly make you question the things that deep down you know are true, but they just give you more and more reason to reject them. And we're not saying don't expose yourself to things that are happening around you in the world. Please do. You have to. It's a necessity. But before you do, equip yourself what will allow you to deal with this. If I have the right knowledge, when I understand my religion, I know why I believe in a God and why I believe in a religion, why I believe that there is an afterlife, why is there a Quran, why are there Imams, I know what I believe in, then it's not very easy for any thought to come into my mind and completely disrupt all of this and maybe question my life and my values and my principles and my beliefs. The idea is not that I'm going to hide away from what's going on in the world. The idea is that I'm going to equip myself so that when I am exposed to things that may shake up my belief, it's not going to change me. I know how to deal with them. That's one. Two, this is sometimes happening in a, in a way where we are aware, and sometimes it's happening in a way where we're not aware. I'm not even aware that all of this may be impacting me. I need someone to remind me or to bring it to my attention, that when I watch a show, when I read a book, when I watch a movie, when I live in a certain culture, I'm constantly being bombarded with ideas and values and principles and beliefs that may or may not jive with, align with, what I consider to be true. It may be or it may not be. Am I ready to handle and deal with this? There are people, if you, depending on who you follow and what you read and what you know, there are huge segments and growing segments in the population in some Western countries where there are movements of people, for instance, who say, we no longer watch the news. We refuse 
to listen or read or watch the news because there's too much negativity. And I don't want this negativity to affect me. I see myself becoming another type of person that I don't like when I'm constantly bombarded by crime and with negative things happening in society, whether locally, domestically, internationally. I don't like the person that this makes me, turns me into. So I just avoid it. And we're not saying that in itself is a good or a bad thing. But we're saying this goes way beyond just the purely, strictly theological sense. This goes very far. Whatever you are allowing yourself to be exposed to is having an effect. Anyone can feel it. So what are you allowing to enter your mind? What are you allowing to enter your ears, your eyes, that's going to affect your mind, affect your thinking, affect your principles? And a lot of this does not happen overnight. A lot of this is, unless it's shocking to you, most of this does not happen overnight. It happens over a prolonged period of time. And then suddenly, you're a very different type of human being that you may want to be, or you may not want to be, but now you are. Okay, so I think this is all I'm going to cover for the first of the topics. Inshallah, that part is clear. That now that we're talking about the teacher, you have to make sure that whoever becomes, whoever you choose as, whoever you allow to become your teacher, is going to be a very deliberate, a very conscious effort, choice, decision on your part. Because it's something important. And we saw the different ways that the Holy Prophet and the Imams talked about it. That's the first point. The second point, and this is what we're going to start today, I don't know if we'll have time to finish it, is now we want to therefore start drilling a little bit into what are this, these traits what are the descriptions that we're looking for in this teacher? So now we're at a more practical level, but this is definitely pretty much an extension of the discussion that we began. The last two lectures, we talked about how the true teacher, the true scholar, again and again in our hadith, when we find it, when we find this person mentioned, in truth it is the infallible. It's the ma'soom. And everyone else, to the extent that they match the ma'soom, they are the, also a teacher or a scholar. To the extent that you match these descriptions. So these may not be found entirely in a perfect form in any single normal human being. But you will see some of this in some people. To the extent that it is there, this is what we're also looking for in the person that we're choosing as a teacher. So before I go too far, I'll read a couple of ahadith here that are going to be new. And then depending on the time and what you guys say, I wanted to basically recap before we continue into this. We've spent two lectures talking about who is the true teacher. We went through two longer passages. One of them was from Nahj al-Balagha. Uh, sermon 87, where Imam Ali السلام, was talking about those who are God-fearing, but in truth, he was talking about the true scholar. And in the second one was the passage, the, in the short sayings of Imam Ali السلام, number 147, we said Imam Ali is talking to Kumail, and he's telling him about knowledge and who are those, the different types of people who carry it, and at the end, none of them are really worthy. So in those two passages, these passages were filled with descriptions of who is really carrying the knowledge and who is not? Okay, so I thought at least we highlight those passages that we covered so that that part is clear and then we move to the next ahadith. So before those, let's go to, through the, uh, the two new ahadith and then depending on the time, we'll, we'll cover the, the recap. So the first hadith from the Holy Prophet He says, لا تقعدوا إلا إلى عالم so here the Holy Prophet is going to start telling us, so who is this person we're going to choose as a teacher? We're selecting this person, as we said. Now we understand the importance. Never sit before someone. Don't sit as a learner, as a student in front of someone, unless they are calling you 
from three to three. So away from three things and towards three things. Okay, so what are those three things? So the Holy Prophet says, first, من ثلاثا إلى ثلاث من الكبر إلى التواضع The first thing is that this person, the speaker, the teacher, the person you're choosing as a teacher, has to call you away from arrogance and towards humility. First character. Secondly, وَمِنَ الْمُدَاهَنَةِ إِلَى الْمُنَاصَحَةِ And away from flattery and towards honest advice. And we can, we're going to say a couple of things about this. And the last one too. وَمِنَ الْجَهْلِ إِلَى الْعِلْمِ And away from ignorance and towards knowledge. So here the Holy Prophet gave us very, very clear, three concrete indications Criteria. I want to choose a teacher. He says, make sure these are the criteria that you're looking for. When you're learning from someone, make sure that their influence on you is not that you become more arrogant. One. Two. Make sure that you are not going to be duped or tricked by flattery. Someone who makes you feel good about yourself, for instance. When in truth you should be You should have someone put a mirror to your face and remind you of weaknesses and faults and problems that you need to work on. Okay, and finally, someone who has to take you out of your state of ignorance and actually teach you something, give you real knowledge. So at a first level, we could say that those three things, the Holy Prophet is saying at the level of action. Someone is talking as a teacher, presenting content as a teacher, And they say, make sure you move away from arrogance, you move away from flattery, you move away from ignorance and towards humility and towards honesty and towards knowledge. If it's at this level, I think everyone is going to say those things. That's easy. Everyone, No one is going to say, come to me and I will be your teacher and I will teach you how to be arrogant. And this is why we have to look a little bit further into this. Clearly, this is not at a superficial level. You have to go a little bit deeper in the teachings, in the methodology, in what is being presented to you. Does this lead to arrogance or does this lead to humility? And again, if you were to apply it to today's world, you will see a whole lot of instructions and a whole lot of teachings going towards arrogance. Because we live in a world of me, of I. And that's the most important thing. How much space I can take. How present I can be. How much success can I project. This is, there's nothing in this about humility. All of this goes towards arrogance. About the ego. I'm feeding the ego and I'm presenting the ego. The Holy Prophet says, the one whose teachings lead to this, you should avoid them. When you live in a world where this is constantly the way that you are bombarded with, what they call them tropes culturally, with themes, with ideas, with values, that all lead towards this, you have to be careful. And I would say, be even more careful, extra careful, when things are packaged under a Islamic label. I'm teaching you how to be a good Muslim. But in truth, if you look at it, you see what I'm teaching you is to be more arrogant and less humble. The Holy Prophet says, be careful. One. Secondly, when the Holy Prophet says, the mudahana, I can teach you that you should be careful from flattery and make sure that you go over where there is honest advice being given to you. In theory, and as talk, it's very easy to do. Where you have to be careful is whether I'm doing it or not. When you choose someone as your teacher, then you expect that person to be helping you to become better. And you won't become better by only focusing on those things that are going well. There's no improvement here. There's no growth here. So it cannot be flattery. 
There has to be some honest advice given. As the Holy Prophet here says, Munasaha. So here it's not only about the content of what I'm teaching. It's also about how I'm dealing with you. It's much easier as a teacher or whatever you may be, it's a lot easier to keep people around you if you make them feel good about themselves than if you constantly criticize them. Because sometimes people are going to get fed up. The critique can be heavy to take. You're no longer interested in hearing everything that's going wrong and you have to go back and think about it and it's burdensome and you're falling behind and it's a lot of work. You may not be interested in that. But the Holy Prophet says that's what's good for you. Look for the honest advice. Don't look for the false flattery. Looking for a teacher is not just about someone who makes me feel good about myself. That's secondly. And the third one, وَمِنَ الْجَهْلِ إِلَى الْعِلْمِ now we've been talking about ilm for a long time. So when the Holy Prophet simply just uses that term, everything we've said for the past 50 lectures should come back to mind. What is ilm? What is knowledge? It's everything we've been talking about. Knowledge is that which meets those two conditions. That it has to transform you from the inside. That it has to lead to action. That it has to be approached with sincere intentions and lead to things that are sincere. It's between you and God. This is what you're doing with the knowledge. Right? It makes you better from the inside and out. It has to show. This is what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a data dump. This is not knowledge. Right? So when the Holy Prophet says, وَمِنَ الْجَهْلِ إِلَى الْعِلْمِ As we saw Imam Ali السلام, what he was saying, there's another one who calls himself a scholar when he is not. He took jaha'il. He took Ignorances. This is knowledge. He took information and data. But it leads to misguidance. So it's not only about the amount of information that I accumulate. You have to keep those other conditions in mind when you see this expression. This is what you're looking for. Not only information from the teacher. You're looking for a little bit more from the teacher than just information. That's the first hadith. The second hadith from the Holy Prophet he says, and I think this one goes a little bit deeper, لا تجلسوا عند كل داع مدع يدعوكم من اليقين إلى الشك This is a longer hadith. The Holy Prophet begins by saying, do not sit before just anyone who calls you, who invites you, and who pretends or who claims. He pretends you with he calls you with pretenses or claims. You're still not sure what they are. But the Holy Prophet is going to start giving you indications of what are these claims, what are these pretenses that he's using to invite you, to draw you in. First one. يَدْعُوكُمْ مِنَ الْيَقِينِ إِلَى الشَّكِ Someone who takes you away from the state of certainty, of knowing, to a state of doubt. وَمِنَ الْإِخْلَاصِ إِلَى الْرِيَاءِ He takes you away from a state of sincerity to a state of showing off. وَمِنَ التَّوَاضُعِ إِلَى الْكِبَرِ The same one. And away from humility towards arrogance. وَمِنَ النَّصِيحَةِ إِلَى الْعَدَاوَةِ And away from good advice and in this case, you can understand this is social, at the social level. Advice that should bring people together. Instead, this is someone who draws you away towards enmity. There's a problem, they will give you advice that will make the problem even bigger. That will break the ties even more. You are right, they are wrong. Never let go, never compromise. Do not uh, say sorry and do not apologize. Sometimes that's the complete opposite of what should be said. Right? The Holy Prophet continues, and this is someone who is going to invite you away from a zuhd, to be detached, to not feel so dependent on the things of this world, min zuhdi ila raghba, to be someone who is covetous, someone who desires, who has a lot of wants for the things in this world. وَتَقَرَّبُوا 
So instead, so don't sit before someone who teaches you those things. See, the Holy Prophet did not say, choose the scholar who has the most knowledge. That's the easy part. He does not even have to mention that. All of the traits that the Holy Prophet talked about are traits that affect your soul and your heart. He's saying, don't sit before someone who draws you away from those things which are good. These are moral, ethical traits towards things that are going to be degrading, going to worsen your psychology or your spirituality. Instead, the Holy Prophet says, وَتَقَرَّبُوا إِلَىٰ عَالِمٍ يَدْعُوكُمْ مِنَ الْكِبَرِ إِلَىٰ التَّوَاضَعِ وَمِنَ الْرِيَاءِ إِلَىٰ الْإِخْلَاصِ وَمِنَ الشَّكِّ إِلَىٰ الْيَقِينِ وَمِنَ الرَّغْبَةِ إِلَىٰ الزُّهْدِ وَمِنَ الْعَدَاوَةِ إِلَىٰ الْنَصِيحَةِ He repeated, not in the same order, the same ones, but in opposite. The Holy Prophet says, instead, get closer to the scholar who invites you away from arrogance towards humility, away from showing off towards sincerity, away from doubt towards certainty, away from desires towards detachment, and away from enmity towards good counsel. That part, inshallah, is clear. I won't comment more on it. The second part, I think, is extremely important. The Holy Prophet is going to add another layer here. And the more you study, inshallah, whether it's religion or beyond religion, the more you will appreciate this part. And in short... It's that there are people, inshallah, who will meet all of this, who have vast amounts of knowledge and who will not necessarily affect you in any negative way spiritually. But there's something else that might be missing. In short, they may simply not be good teachers. They may not be someone who knows how to communicate the knowledge in the right way. So, now watch how the Holy Prophet is going to mention this. He's talking about who to sit before, who to sit in front of as a learner, as a student. He says, وَلَا يَصْلُحُ لِمَوْعِظَةِ الْخَلْقِ إِلَّا مَنْ خَافَ هَذِهِ الْآفَاتَ بِصَدْقِهِ I'll read the Arabic first and then I'll read the English together. وَلَا يَصْلُحُ لِمَوْعِظَةِ الْخَلْقِ إِلَّا مَنْ خَافَ هَذِهِ الْآفَاتَ بِصَدْقِهِ وَأَشْرَفَ عَلَىٰ عُيُوبِ الْكَلَامِ وَعَرَفَ الصَّحِيحَ مِنَ السَّقِيمِ وَعِلَلَ الْخَوَاطِرِ وَفِتَنَ النَّفْسِ وَالْهَوَىٰ So he says, and none is qualified to sit and preach to the people, to give, to give advice to the masses, to the people, except someone who, so it's very restrictive. The Holy Prophet is saying by default, no one should do it except someone who, and now he's going to give us the criteria, who should be in this position of preaching and giving advice and teaching. The Holy Prophet says, except one who sincerely fears these illnesses. So the Holy Prophet just gave us a whole list. Remember, he talked about arrogance. He talked about the good advice, sincerity, not showing off. He's saying someone who really, in their heart, they fear these illnesses, these spiritual illnesses. They actually fear them. When they talk about them, they believe that this is something wrong. They're not just repeating empty words. That's one. So you want someone who believes in what they're saying. One. And who is well aware of the defects of speech. This is a big one. We talked about it earlier when we talked about the ingredients of the learner. We said there's a skill set that comes with it. Your ability to ask questions that you take good notes and you know how to write, you know how to talk, how to listen and how to talk. They go together. The Holy Prophet here is saying, this could be something considered like very mechanical. This is beyond religion. This is not in religion. There is a religious component to this, but this is not all in religion. The Holy Prophet is saying, someone who understands the defects, that which makes speech defective, Someone who has very strong oral skills, communication skills. Because otherwise, they may completely distort and destroy the message they're trying to tell you. They have to understand how is this message going to be understood by different people. Depending on the audience, depending on its complexity, depending on the context. So this is, you see the Holy Prophet here is now talking about something very different. 
He's talking about your qualification or your competence as a teacher. So here he's saying, make sure that this person is also a strong communicator. What else? And so also to keep in mind, we're saying we're all scholars now. Your seeker of knowledge equals scholar, each at our own at level. Which means that if I find that this is something I struggle with, I have to work on it. I will be called at some point to explain myself, to explain my knowledge. I have to work on my ability to express this, to communicate this in the proper way. I can't say, I know it, I just don't know how to say it properly. Go work on your communication skills. If you know it, you should be able to say it. And to say it in a way that is strong, forceful, convincing, not in a way that's going to create more questions and more confusion and more doubts. This is important. The Holy Prophet continues, Someone who understands the difference between what is good and what is bad, what is healthy and unhealthy, what is perfect and imperfect. So this is actually a very tall order. This is not easy to match. But when someone is talking about a topic, they should have enough knowledge about it to be able to clearly, quickly distinguish and be able to say, this is right, this is wrong. If you can't do that, you're going to cause more confusion and more doubts and more questions. You, there's more work you need to do before you put yourself in that position. Now the Holy Prophet goes back to the much more psychological and spiritual dimension. This person who is sitting there, as the Holy Prophet is saying, preaching to the people. They have to have a pretty good understanding of in our Islamic world, we simply call it akhlaq. Akhlaq does not translate by ethics or morals, by the way, not in the technical sense. Akhlaq, in, if you go back to the technical sense, as a domain, as a field of study, it has to do with your spirituality, with spiritual traits, with psychological and spiritual traits. It's not taught in the same way as it is taught in the Western tradition. So this, the Holy Prophet here says, it has to be someone who knows What's a khatara? It's a thought. A crossing, passing thought. He says, That which may make a thought defective. This person who is chosen as a teacher has to understand this. What would make a thought defective? An idea defective. They have to have a good understanding of this, and then he links it to that which can become a challenge or a test or tribulation, a risk of falling or failing for the soul and its desires. It has to be someone who understands human psychology enough, spirituality enough, so that when they are preaching, when they are talking, that it affects the person spiritually in the right way. That it does not lead to more problems. That you're constantly adjusting. And the difficult part in all of this is that in a lot of cases, there is no templated way to say things. Because depending on the person who's sitting in front of you, you have to adjust and sometimes say something that is the opposite. For one person, the issue is they are lacking confidence and this is what's causing all the issues. So you have to boost the confidence. In another case, the problem is that they have too much cockiness and arrogance and confidence and you have to add a lot more humility to bring that down. It's the opposite message because you have to contextualize it to the situation and what people need. But this means that you have an awareness and you have knowledge about who you're talking to, how do you present the communication, what's the best way to adjust it, and so on and so forth. So you have to, when you choose someone as the teacher, especially in matters that have to do with the soul, we called it the salvation of the soul, this is not someone necessarily teaching you math or physics or economy. right? We're talking about things that affect your soul. You have to have some sort of trust, confidence that this person is moving you in the right direction spiritually. 
And if you see hints that, or clear indications that they are not, and you know yourself well, do you feel like you are becoming a better person as a result or not? If not, there's an issue. Time to look for an alternative. Okay, so I think I'm going to stop here. We can have a quick discussion, Q&A. And inshallah, the next time we'll continue with some of the traits. We'll wrap up the traits that we covered in the last two lectures because we didn't really focus on the traits. We mentioned them, but we didn't say anything about them because we were focused on identifying who is the true teacher. Right. So we'll go back to those ahadith, take out the traits from them, add them to this list, and move on to the next topic, inshallah. So let's stop here, and then we'll wrap up the conclusion from all of this. There are a lot of things that we need to bring together as a conclusion from all of this. Inshallah, we'll wrap them up the next time when we cover the traits. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين. So, any questions, concerns, comments, anything to discuss, react to? تفضلوا. Yeah, it's a very good question. And uh, it was supposed to be something we wrap up with. So inshallah, we're going to cover it a little bit more in the conclusion. But the issue is basically, once when you are not yet with enough knowledge to decide yourself, uh, how are you in a state to decide if this is a good teacher or not, and this is good for you or not? So you're definitely right in that part of it, half of this is the effect that it has on you. And this is why you're going to see so many traits listed. These are clues. These are indications. And we're going to see a lot more of them. And if you'll remember, we saw the in the two ahadith that we had from uh, the sermon of Imam Ali salam, he described this person who claims to be a scholar, but he is not. Uh, or in the, in the saying, the short saying to Kumail, when he talks about these four different types of people. And he says, all of these people are, you know, they claimed to want to carry the knowledge that I have. But none of them was worthy of carrying it. And inshallah, we're going to go back to all of this. Why does the imam do all of this? And he, the, these are just examples. We have hundreds of these traits that are listed. You may not know one or two or ten or a hundred of them, but there's a lot more that you will know. And you're going to start seeing indications that should raise red flags. Even if, you know, before I reach the point of what is this doing to my soul, I'm going to start seeing some indications that Perhaps this is not the person I want to be associating with at a point or at a level where this is going to have an impact on my soul. And we're going to see a lot of hadith related to this. Someone who, for instance, is presenting themselves as an objective scholar who uh, you know, speaks on behalf of religion, but in fact, clearly everything they do is political, for instance, politicized. They work for the king of the time. And you see clearly that there is some distortion happening because of this. No way that this person can be entirely uh, neutral or objective when they are in that type of relationship. And you will. this is just one quick example. There are hundreds of them mentioned in the hadith uh, that should raise a red flag. So this is before you know. The second point is what you mentioned. What effect is it having on your soul? And again, there are a whole lot of traits that we're seeing many of them too. The other half of it is therefore you need to go and acquire the tools. And this is what we've been saying from the beginning. It's not enough of an excuse. As a starting point, yes, it's acceptable in our religion that someone doesn't know. But once you understand the necessity of learning in our religion, then what's your excuse? As we saw in the, in the hadith initially when we began, we have this narration that summarizes all of this. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to some people and asks them in the afterlife, why didn't you do something? And they say, I didn't know. And he tells them, okay, that part is valid. Why didn't you go learn? You should have gone out of your way to learn. You know that you don't know. You can tell me I don't know. What are you waiting for? Go learn. So that you are in a position at least to say, you acquire at least enough knowledge that you can at least decide if I want to get more knowledge, I know where to get it from. I have some criteria that I can use to say I'm going to get it from here because this is a good source of knowledge. This means that you have a significant amount of knowledge 
to be able to use that criteria yourself. And that's why we've said from the beginning, as much as you can, understand the Holy Quran and understand the sayings of Ahlul Bayt And then when you go to the scholars, it's a lot easier afterwards. Because now you have a foundation and you know what your truths are. And even when it's open to interpretation, you know what's the, uh, let's say, the spectrum of interpretation that is acceptable and at which point this becomes beyond. And of course, during all this time, if you're really interested in this, it means you're acquiring more and more knowledge and the tools that allow you to be more critical. But you can't be critical when you're starting. You don't have enough to, to work with. And inshallah, we're going to come back to this idea of acquiring the tools to be able to make your own decisions. And this is, by the way, the, we began the whole series with this. This is the point of a series like this one. That we understand the basic principles of our religion. The general spirit. No one can ever know our the specific teachings of our religion about every single point. That's impossible. But what we can know is enough of the spirit of our religion, of the general principles, to know how to apply them in different situations. If you have enough of that, then you're able to apply criteria, general criteria to different people, different situations, and this is going to tell you at the end, go this way, go that way. Take, leave. Nothing else? Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin.